I, I love it here. I love everything. I love Lisbon. I love the busyness. I love the smell. I can even deal with the bureaucracy. It's, it's a beautiful country. The people are lovely. They come with their challenges, but that just adds to the character. Yeah. You know? the, the food is exceptional. What do I want people to know about Portugal? The culture here, the, the galleries, the foundations, the, I mean, this is something I, I, part of my life I love is if I've got free time, I, you will find me in a gallery somewhere or, a, you know, or Benkian or at some concert. It's really supported the arts and culture here. Olá e bem-vindo. Welcome to The Simple Life, an insider's perspective into Portugal. We already know about Portugal's amazing weather, food and people. In this podcast we go deeper and meet the real people who make this country so wonderful. Dylan, who has made his life in Portugal, shares an insider's perspective into what makes Portugal the unique, beautiful and amazing country that it is. Join him and his guests every week as they shed some light on the incredible people, culture, history and lifestyle that makes Portugal so appealing. A country where everyone feels like they belong. This podcast is sponsored by Portugal Realty. Welcome to The Simple Life. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Jacqueline de Montaigne. And although that's not a Portuguese surname, and Jacqueline is a mixture of many different nationalities, she's proudly Portuguese. Jacqueline was previously a medical consultant specializing in child nutrition and at the age of 37 painted her first mural and today is one of Portugal's most sought after muralists and painters. We discuss amongst other things, the work that she does and the ethereal quality of her paintings, why um, Portugal is such a fun place to paint, some of the conversations she has along the ways, the things that she loves about living and working in Portugal, how Portugal is such a fantastic place for her kids, and we speak about Portugal as her sole place and her sanctuary. For those of you listening, head over to our YouTube channel to watch some of this episode, and now over to my conversation with Jacqueline. Welcome back, or welcome to another episode of Portugal The Simple Life, and I'm delighted to be joined here by Jacqueline de Montaigne. After some technical difficulties, which is normal when you reveal what kind of world that you're involved in, in terms of work. Jacqueline, thank you for being on the podcast. How are you? Good, fine, thank you. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Very well. Thank you. Um, you just come back from a long trip or a quite, it must have been quite an exhausting trip. Tell us uh, where you were. I was in um, Guinea-Bissau. I, uh, it was just... Um, I, I don't know how to describe it emotionally, mentally heavy, but just as beautiful all the same. Um, I went there as a volunteer to paint as part of their, they're trying to justify having an independent Biennale. So this was sort of ground zero. And I went there to give a workshop on how to cross over activism with public art and to paint a few murals. But there were, it was, it was a very challenging environment, but an incredible experience. Amazing, amazing. Jacqueline, why don't you why don't you start off telling us a little bit about you? Um, I am a sort of late bloomer in the art world. I um, 
I'm Portuguese. I well, Portuguese with 50 other different nationalities mixed in there, so quite a cocktail. Um, I was born here. We went to Saudi Arabia as children, then Scotland. Came back to Portugal when I was seven with a very strong Scottish accent, so no one could understand the thing we were saying. It's gone now. Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. Everyone's like, "Oh, but you sound so British," and I'm like, "Yeah, but no one understood me 30 years ago." Um, we went to British to an English school, so became even more Englishized. I don't think that's a word, but um, my mother remarried here to the headmaster of St. Julian's. So, I mean, okay. I know a lot of people. He was quite well known and had a beautiful impact in many people's lives. Mm. Mr. Bull, um, so I'm his middle daughter. Um, I don't know, been, uh, st studied here. I spent a lot of time abroad and traveling and always dabbled in art, always wanted to be an artist, um, but only really went for it at age 37. I went off and studied other things and did other stuff. and So yeah, quite a late bloomer in the art world. Amazing, I mean, what brought you back to it in the, in the after years of doing other things? Well, I, I'd always painted and in my 20, uh, like 20 to 30, I painted a lot, but I, I didn't have a distinct um, identity. So it's quite hard to, live off of it because essentially the value of your art comes from your identity as an artist you know otherwise everyone can go to ikea and buy a poster but um i, I still didn't have an identity in my 20s and then uh my youngest son was born premature when i was 30 so i'd always wanted to study nursing so i went off and sort of started a foundation in nursing ended up specializing in that and in babies with cleft palates and trisomy 21 and um, ended up being a public speaker on medical ethics, went back to school, did all that until I was about 37. And then um, we were going to build refugee camps in the south of Portugal. And I thought it would be great to have public mu murals as a form of public education on the importance of breastfeeding in environments like that and safe nutrition. So I contacted a curator. Anyway, the long story short, the, the refugee camps didn't go forward. A year later, she said, well, you paint, wouldn't you like to try a mural? And I was a bit, found the idea a bit daunting. So I said, no, not really. Um, in the end, I did have a go and I've never looked back. So that's the. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So, so let's, you just, you're selling it a bit short. You sort of started a foundation. This sounds like it was a big, a big thing. And then a big pivot into, into the art world. Um, what was the first um, mural? Can you. Where, where is it and, and where can people see it? Well, it's actually been covered up. Oh. The chap that covered it up didn't have the, didn't tell me. I was a bit upset at the time. Um, it was in El Shish factory with the okay. uh, curator by Lara Seixo Rodrigues. She was one of the biggest yes. curators here. Or she she used to be. And yes. um, I mean, there's a lot of other things going on. She now. does wool. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've yeah. tried. We've tried. I've tried. We've tried to connect once to have to have on the podcast, but she. But when we had booked to have her on, I got sick and ended up in hospital, and we've never been able to coordinate since. So it's a challenge with you artists, you know. Yeah, it, it's sort of mayhem when mural season begins. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a twenty. It's a twenty-four-seven job. Yeah, but uh, she sort of gave me my first canvas. Okay. And, so it she was, was the one who said to you, you're an artist, why don't you paint? Why don't you have a go? Yeah. yeah, would you like to have a go? And I was a bit like, eh. I hadn't picked up a paintbrush in about eight years. I'd gone back to school. I'd been studying 
you know, health sciences and all these different things and wearing a suit to work and giving talks at universities and stuff. So um, I, I just didn't even know how to begin. And she said, it's just a big canvas. So I did a scale. It took me forever to do something that would now probably take me about six hours. It took me about a week. And that was my my first, first one. And um, then I got invited to do a show. And it, it's almost like a, I, I, I have always been an artist. I mean, I painted and drew since I was like three or four. I never wanted to play with toys, didn't really watch TV. So it's, it was always there. And and it was really rather exciting. So I went from dabbling to full-time uh, painting in the last few years. Incredible, incredible. Um, how, I mean, how was that pivot from sort of corporate to, to, um, to artist, artist life? I know, I know it didn't happen all of a sudden, but was, did you have to get used to it? Do you miss anything from the corporate side of things, wearing a suit every day, any of that? Well, uh, no, because I, I struggle to wear a suit. I mean, I, I, I'm, I mean I'm, I've got quite a few tattoos. I used to have to like pull my blouse down to cover my <laughs> wrists in meetings. And then actually a, a significant point, I was, in, I was in a meeting with the National Health Service here with Anna George, which is our last, uh, which is a, one of our past health ministers. She did a lot, I did a lot of work with her and for her. And she sort of laughed and she tucked up my blouse and she said, no one cares that you've got tattoos. <laughs> so I thought, you know, okay, let's just remember that I am an artist and it's fine because I'm not a doctor. I don't have to be amongst doctors and pretend to be one. I am an artist and they are well aware of that. And I brought something different to the table. So even though I, I'm still officially a consultant to the National Health Service and implementation of uh, national guidelines for child nutrition from zero to 36 months, and um, so, but with the pandemic, that was all put on hold. Sure. So, um, I mean, I, once an artist, always an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. I just I managed to behave well when I was doing my public speaking, but I'm, I'm, I've never changed for anything really. Yeah, incredible. How do you I mean you 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 spoke about um, kind of growing up in different places and then ending up here in Portugal? How do you think sort of um, growing up here and and the child the 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 because it, the childhood that you would have had here is quite a bit different to some of the other places that you were um how do you think that sort of contributed to you being more of a creative person to you sort of delving more into uh, that creative side of of your childhood or do you think it wouldn't have mattered where you where you grew up i could have been left in a box in the desert i would have found a way to draw inside that box yeah i don't it, it i've just always been like that I, I everyone always asks you know what was your first impression or what was an impactful moment I just don't ever remember not wanting to draw mm. I, I since I could speak I asked for pencils I wanted pens I remember these beautiful brush pens I'd seen in a shop and that was just my biggest fantasy as a child was to get these brush pens and my grandfather was a painter okay he's a mechanical painter so when we visited Portugal we, we were living abroad at the time, um, you know, just, just sitting on his lap in his studio or, or sitting in the chair behind him. I could be in there if I was quiet. The smell of the paints and the reference books, the biology books and the botanical books. I just couldn't get enough of it. But there, there was nothing made me want to be. It was just there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that makes sense. Do you remember the the moves? Do you remember that kind of change in scenery and setting for you when you came across to Portugal as a as a young girl? Well, I re I remember my sister was born in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. I remember that if we wanted to play outside, it had to be really early in the morning. I mean, the extreme heat. We were in a compound in the desert. Um, there was a a bus driver, a Filipino bus driver that used to go around and pick up the kids for school. I remember this. And he would pick me up in the morning. We'd do this the round. This is in Saudi. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah. So he'd pick up all the other kids and drop me back at home because I was too young to go to school. I don't know. I, I remember that he, and then we went to Scotland, of course, which is there's no sun there, freezing cold, wet, and miserable. Um, and we were in a very strict all girls school. Um, and then coming to Portugal, my grandparents were here and my, my family's here. So it wasn't anything particularly new, but it was okay. where we only spent holidays. And um, I, 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 love, I love it here. This is my sole place, it's my sanctuary. So. Yeah, something keeps bringing you back here. Um, so, I mean, what what makes it your your sanctuary for you? I don't know. Things like, um, I mean, I went to study abroad, just coming back to my grandmother's house, the smell of the house. Uh, I mean, it's my mother's house now. And um, Gingshu Beach, going for the drive along the coast, Gingshu and back. Yeah, beautiful. It's, just, it's my thing. It's where what I do to think. I go to Gingshu to think. I go to try and not think. Um, the smell, the sound. Kishkaij, uh, the cobble streets in the winter because in tourist season I won't set foot down there. Yeah. Um, I don't know, this, it's just very, very much a feeling of sanctuary. We also spent a lot of time in the Algarve and we have a property down there, so I have the same connection to there, to San Braz del Portel, yeah. which is a very, very untourist. Yeah, yeah. Some good restaurants there. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And it's in in the air when when you're a Alfa Roba factory carob seed bean whatever. Yeah. So they grind it there in the summer. So for me, my childhood is the smell of Alfa Roba. Um, we used to drink sumol when we came on holiday and things like that. I, I mean, I love love Portugal. I love coming back when I've been away. We had a we had a lady on the podcast because you you've spoken about um, smells a couple of times and um, we had a lady on the podcast. Um, uh, her name uh, i can't think of the name now but she she she's a perfume maker and she says that we remember smells more than we remember any of the other senses uh, our brain holds on to smells, so it's, it's interesting and a lot of people talk about that when they come to portugal for the first time they remember the smell of the pine trees or the ocean or the fresh air um it's interesting that you spoke about those memories even such a long time ago that those 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 smells that that stay with you I mean, we, we learn, I, I did this in, in my studies and stuff when I was doing health sciences. So we learn more in the first two years of our lives than we will ever learn in the rest of our life. So our brain is a recorder and our hypothalamus records everything we're exposed to in the first two years. So smells will automatically tr trigger a physiological reaction in our brain. Whether we can remember what they are or not, they will bring on a feeling connected to a memory that we may not remember. So... Smells are very, very potent. They can change our brain chemistry. They can change our brain function. Um, you know, how we connect to people, um, pheromones. It's it's a really potent thing yeah. to smell. You, um, you also spoke about, um, Jacqueline, about, and, and we'll get on to kind of what inspires your work and these kind of things, but you, you spoke about how not finding an identity yet in your work, but your work now 
for everything that I've seen very much has an identity. And I don't know if it was you that, that used the phrase or someone else who's described your artwork, but the, 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 the name was ethereal, um, you know, very much a spiritual element to it. A lot of um, rooted in people in facial features and these kind of things, but maybe describe your, your art to, to someone that hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, the, the first person to describe it as ethereal. I had to look up <laughs> to look up the word actually. I thought, oh, that's it. That's the description I've been looking for. It was a writer who who writes for a blog called Compulsive Contents, which is run by Underdogs, Ed, and he had described it that way. Um, my art, my my art. I, I very much paint for myself. I paint for calm. It's my calm place. It brings me calm. It brings me balance. Um, I think I can paint in nearly any style, which is where I struggled when I was younger. I could do oil painting, pencil, uh, portraits, scientific illustration. But now, and I have a very short attention span. So I was so late. I love doing portraits, but I love scientific illustration and nature-based things. And then, you know, one day I sort of did birds flying around someone's head and I thought, oh, that's amazing. I can put, bring the nature and figurative art together, which is wonderful for someone with a short attention span because I can, do them together, I can do them separately. So I have three areas to play in. And um, I think my art is a fusion of nature and figurative art. It's monochromatic because that for me is calming. I'm not a fan of a lot of color. I use classical gilding techniques in everything from a 400 square meter mural. I am using gold leaf, uh, gold foil. Gold leaf I use in my original work to small paintings is 24 karat gold. So that's a distinct identity I have in my work. And I love circles. It keeps everything tidy in the paper and neurotically tidy. So that's where the circles come in. It keeps everything in together. Amazing. That very long description. <laughs> no, it's very, very good. Um, take us just through kind of a journey. Um, if people want to just do a little tour of, of Jacqueline the Montaigne artwork where where would they where would you send them how can they look around and see what you've done you've done some amazing murals um so yeah where, 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 where can people see some of the, the work you've done What's in person if they were to cut if they were here you know a lot of the people listening are here uh, a lot are coming uh and uh and just like you know a walking tour or a tour of your art that they would be able to do well, I, I mean, I have pieces all the way up from Chavez down to Sambraj, so from one tip of the country to the other. But um, a concentration of my work is, is really in Lisbon. I have some very large pieces there. I have four or five pieces in El Shish factory. That's actually where I began. Um, I have a very large one near Parliament in Lisbon, in Largo Ins Ribeiro. And I have a couple down by Caixtre, train station, where as, as, if you're arriving from Cascais or leaving, it's on the water's edge to facing the train station. Um, I have a very large one in Expo. So they're not exactly within walking distance, but they're, they're enough to see within Lisbon Brilliant. to do a yeah. walk Brilliant. around. Um, Vanessa Teodoro, who's, who's a, a friend of yours, and she's also been on the podcast, um, she, she spoke about how much fun it was painting in these places because of the conversations that you'd have with people, people stopping, asking questions, that sort of genuine curiosity from the local old ladies and stuff. Um, how has your experience been with, with local people in the place that you paint, in the places that you've painted? That is definitely 
when I painted my first mural, the general interaction, someone asked me the other day, is it because you have an audience? It, it's not because it's not an audience. It's the, the connection you make with the people. And Vanessa's right. I mean, from the first mural I did, I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm not going back to doing public speaking. This, this is what I want to do. And it, people bring you food. I mean, people bring you food. They come and talk to you. They tell you their stories. I, I've, in my murals, I try very hard to bring in local stories into my work. So I will speak to local people. I will literally do my sketch on the spot. I, I will always present an idea to the client or who's hired me, but I will ask that I can change it after speaking to the people that live there. Um, I mean, in Africa, the poverty there is devastating and heartbreaking and people were bringing me food and me fresh water in the morning and they would keep bringing me cold water and they would come and talk to me um, a guy came around the corner the other day and said, oh, my God, I've never seen a white woman on a ladder. I was like, OK. That's hilarious. <laughs> Once you get and the fascination, I mean, there was a chap that now in Guinea, Guinea is definitely one of the most moving experiences I've had. He's, you know, he got all teary. He said, is someone paying you? I said, no, I've come to do this it's, as a volunteer. And he said, thank you so much for what you're doing. We have nothing here. And um, the interaction with the people, the genuine gratitude, they are so moved and fascinated as well you know people are a bit perplexed to see a woman painting a building <laughs> um but I, I love the conversations and the sharing and kids come and sit there and watch after school and you make friends i mean i i painted i've painted a few times in kashtre and there's a, a homeless support shelter place that there that supports the homeless and there's two chaps in lisbon i've got Sr. francisco and Sr. Paulo, and they have wandered around and helped me over the years when I paint murals, and they're homeless people that I met maybe five years ago. So I'm I'm very touched and moved by the just complete strangers you meet. Yeah, yeah, it's it's beautiful. Um, there is a genuine. I find that in in Portugal with 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 almost everybody, and it seems to have filtered down to the youngsters. There's a genuine curiosity for for things, for stories, for people, for, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I find when I've traveled around to other European countries, it's very much a passing by kind of culture, very much a, we don't have time to stop and talk, whereas in Portugal, we've got that time. We give each other that time to sit and ask questions and have conversations. I mean, how important was that to your to your work as well? You said you, you're inspired by some stories. Has that all added to the work that you're doing? Uh, everything it, it it does i mean every mural i paint i dedicate to someone and usually it's some random person that's come and talk to me every day you know, uh, i painted in kirkovelj last year and this 90 90 something year old lady would come and just she'd bring a, her, her stool and she'd sit, ne sit next to me she says i hope i'm not bothering you i just want to watch uh -huh. and at the end i sort of put her name at the bottom of the mu mural so I, I'm, I, I i use flowers a lot in my work and it's a form of coding that was used in Victorian times. So I'm constantly asking the people around me, you know, what is your childhood memory? Is there a flower? Is there a fat flower that is significant to you? Or I try and bring in who's around me as much as I can into the painting. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, you, you got to, it's a very, you, your, your work's got a lot of detail and a very up close and personal uh, way. 
with that kind of ethereal, the circle, the the palette is the color palette is just absolutely beautiful. I think it could fit in anywhere. I imagine it next to a castle wall. I think it would look absolutely, you know, with the, the base of a castle wall and then your painting next to it. I think it would be absolutely incredible. We need to find you a a wall next to a castle that you can do do a nice piece of art. I'll be I'll be your curator for the for this area for Abidas and Caldas. How about that? Lovely, lovely. I'd love that. I, I will also look out for castles with good walls. Yeah, yeah. But um, just uh, for people that kind of come to Portugal for the first time, they're always taken aback by these murals because we have a lot of them, um, obviously more Lisbon-based. Um, I know here in where, where I am in Caldas, we have more. And in Abidos, they're starting to do a bit, um, which is exciting. I think it could, would be nice if this happened in more places throughout the country. Um, but how does it all work? Just paint people a picture of how that, how it happens. That it's not just that you rock up there one day, stick up a ladder and and paint. Um, there's a whole process that goes into this. So just just give us a quick explanation of how that all works. I think Lisbon Town Hall were the first to really put two and two together: the in, impact and importance of street art to the tourist market. And also, we've got Vils in Lisbon who really put it on the map. And um, so they've invested millions over the years in this. So they do a biannual street art festival and they sort of curate any other street art uh, interventions. And bit by bit, other town halls are thinking, well, you know, let, let's have a go. It's one of the quickest way to change the skyline, you know, yeah. as opposed to building and redoing buildings, we can just paint them and it just changes your, your vision you have in front of you. Um, you can't just roll up and paint a building you need to find out who owns the building. You need to then apply to the town hall. This is if it's independent. Usually a lot of the murals we do were invited by the town hall, so they do all that for us. We need to present a sketch that is approved by the owner of the building and the town hall. Okay. Um, with big walls, you need to rent a lift. You need to have a license you, to drive a lift. Um, you know, you calculate your paints. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a whole process to it. It's not just turning up and painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is it's, it's something special um, and, and something that locals tend to embrace as well because all of a sudden an old wall that was kind of falling to pieces and now looks beautiful and pretty and or, or interesting. Um, so so generally it's a, it's a good thing for everybody. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, the whole science side, when, when we look at art, we have a, an influx of blood flow to our brain. It creates good feelings you know happy feelings it, it has a great impact on people uh this is where so many countries you know forget to invest in culture but it has an incredibly positive impact on our mental state and murals are just a really big version of a painting so it's yeah. great yeah beautiful um jacqueline where else do you want to paint i mean you've have you have you kind of traveled i'm assuming you've traveled a lot of the country you mentioned you were in Chaves, you've been down to, you've got all those memories of Saubrash. Um, where else in the country have you have you visited that you think, wow, this is beautiful and and I'd also like to paint here? Well, my, my family is originally from Porto and hmm. I would like to do something big in Porto. I might do something with a hotel there, but I want to do something quite public. I mean, our great-great-grandfather was like the first goalkeeper of the port. Porto football team. So wait, we support Porto at home. <laughs> and um, so I, we have a lot of family connections there because my mother's uh, Anderson. 
and um, I would very much like to paint in Porto. It's not a lack of opportunities. I just need to find the right the time and the right project. It might be something we do next year. Um, I don't know. I mean, there are some other countries I'd like to try, but I this year I've really branched out a lot into, I mean, I'll be in six or seven countries this year painting. And next year wow. I've really got two countries lined up. But um, I'm, I'm, it's the first time I've traveled so much, I'm finding it quite hard. You know, I'm only home for a few days, then I'm off again. And I've got two sons. But next year I'd like to do quite a few more here. I don't know, we'll see. Sounds exciting. De definitely Porto. Definitely Porto. Okay. Yeah, it's a good city. It's a pretty okay. city. Um, with all this traveling that you're doing and stuff, I find when I travel and when I come back to to Portugal, it's always this huge sigh. It's like a, just a... Yeah. <sighs> Absolutely. How, I mean, how is that for you? And, and then also in be able, you know, Portugal in general, that, that, that appreciation that you have for it when you come back. And then also the space that... Because a lot of time for creativity, you need the space. You need the headspace um, and the space just to, to sigh and to breathe. And um, I mean, what do you want to say about Portugal in, in regards to that space that it gives you and the things you appreciate when you come home? I'm not entirely sure I'm very good at creating space. I'm, I'm, I, I work about 100 hours a week out, out of choice. I really just push it. But there are, there are moments that drive to Ginshu that... Um, I mean, I had an amazing time in Guinea-Bissau, but I really spent quite a lot of time not necessarily being able to identify what I was eating. I eat everything. I try everything. I'm not quite sure what I ate very often. <laughs> so, you know, I love going, coming back and coming, going to Atashka. I love Portuguese food. Love Portuguese food. So, you know, I came back and had a bitok, and the next day I had my bacalhau braz. Um, Kishkaj is very much my home. I, like, I, I'm an avid walker. We go to long walks with my dog, and that's that's the space I will take. I, I'm not very good at sitting down and taking a minute to breathe, but I will go for a walk. I'll go to Ginshu. I'll go sit in my mother's garden. Beautiful. I mean, what do you besides the food? What other things do you appreciate about Portugal when you when you travel? I mean, traveling always puts things into another perspective. I was very interested in what you said about Guinea-Bissau because I had the same experience when I when I moved when I visited Malawi. Many, many, many years ago, um, they had nothing and they, they, they give you what they have, you know, uh, in terms of food and water and real sense of community and things like that. But you do, whenever I travel, you, I come back to Portugal and there's just those little things that I really appreciate about this place. Um, what is it for you? I mean, places, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time growing up in the Philippines because my stepmother's from there and that was extreme poverty. But I was in my teens when I spent a lot of time there. So now in Guinea-Bissau, I, I found it very difficult because I'm an adult and I'm a mother. I mean, there were various occasions I ended up in tears. You know, there was a woman that tried to get me to take her baby that was newborn and she just kept coming back every day. And things like that were extremely difficult. And I do find that when I'm in places that are not rolling in money, the people are nicer, kinder, more generous. And I mean, I, I live in Kashkaj, but we've been here forever. And Kashkaj has very much lost its identity. But I love when I go to my local or or local anything, local supermarket, paper, what do you call it, newsagent or the little butcher, or we go down to the market, I go to the same stalls that my grandmother used to go to. And 
they've known us. They always remind me, I remember your mother when she was pregnant with you. I remember you when you were pregnant with your kids. I'm like, okay. I, I love stuff like that. It's it's very quaint and everyone's very kind. One thing that always stuck out when I was a child, I remember we'd come here on holiday and we were going up Kordiraita, which is the tea room street in Kishkaish. Yeah. And we, we stopped at a stall and we'd come from Scotland or, or wherever we were. And we'd stopped at a stall with one of these little vendors and she was eating lunch, but she was eating soup and bread. And she says, would you like some? And I was really taken aback as a child. I was like, what do you mean you're eating? But that is so Portuguese. Everyone always nods, you know, do you want to share my meal? Or I don't know. I, I love it here. I, I love everything apart from the bureaucracy. <laughs> yes. Yes. When we get into that, I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing here? But everything else, I love the the weather, the food, the the climate, the uh, I don't know, the sand on the beach, everything. The beaches are beautiful. Yeah, north to south. Yeah, and we're we're near Sintra, so I I love Sintra. It's uh, another soul place of mine. Yeah, and pretty ethereal. If we're going to stick with that word, if you. You know, the, the forest just below Paninha. Paninha is a very special place. I, my stepfather's passed away, but we used to always do really long walks. So places that are sort of my soul places are very much connected to my childhood memories. So the the forests of Sintra, and he, he wrote his part, I don't know, he was a professor of history, so he did a lot of talks about Sintra and okay. Lisbon and stuff. So we grew up with all these stories, and we'd always go on these long walks and go to all the museums, and I don't know, I, I love it here. And bringing up children, I always thought I would travel, but I've really stuck here since I've been a mum. Yeah, that was going to actually be a question with with your work that you've done with with child nutrition, your two boys, the childhood that you had, which sounds like it was very varied and very sort of helter skelter at times. I suppose how how wonderful is Portugal for for children? Well, I I, I was actually. I became a mum very young. I had my first son at 20. It wasn't planned, but I embraced it. And my family were supportive from day one. And, um, you know, I was working in England and it was impossible to work with a newborn baby. So I came back here. And um, it's there is no other place I would want to bring up my children, just ever. My, I mean, they both, they're, they're safe. They One practically lives at the stables in the Quinta de Mourinho because he rides there and he's safe and happy and you know the other one's a photographer the older one he's, he's almost 23 he's a photographer it's an amazing place for them it's safe they they stand out like sore thumbs because the older one's six foot six <laughs> okay but um it's an amazing place to bring up children we've got really good schools beautiful parks it's it's just there is no other place i would bring up my boys when, when we first spoke um, on LinkedIn, which is how we got connected, you mm. used the term beef tuga. Beef tuga. <laughs> tell, tell people who don't know beef tuga what that is and, uh, and, and uh, yeah, what, what, it, what it means. Well, I mean, people look at me and no one ever goes into Portuguese first. Well, certainly not until October, November when tourist season dies down. Everyone speaks to me in English, but I answer in Portuguese and I've got a Portuguese accent and they're really perplexed by that I remember being on the beach a few years ago with my cousin who's also a beef tuga beef is the nickname for the Brits and tuga is a nickname for the local Portuguese and um, someone had asked her just a second your 
moving between Portuguese and English fluently. Why? And she's like, oh, you know, we're, we're half, half, half cast. So it's always sort of stuck. And I, in my experience, those that have gone to the British schools here, the international schools, you know, St. Julian, St. Dominic's, even those that are 100% Portuguese, they grow up mixing the two languages. You know, very often I'll be stuck for a word in Portuguese and everyone says, oh, but you can speak in English if you want. I'm like, but I don't know what the word is in English. I'm speaking in Portuguese because we grew up constantly mixing. Even yeah. when we were children in Scotland and Saudi Arabia, my mum always had certain vocabulary words that were we grew up with in Portuguese. So um, we've always mixed the two. So that's where the beef tuga comes from. Yeah, we, we mix it. We mix a lot at home as well. Because I'm the same as you. If I walk into a place, people straight away either ask, do you need someone that speaks English? Or they ask, or they, do you want them in English? Or they straight away, <laughs> or they don't even ask, they just give it to me, you know? So, because where we are, it's still on the Silver Coast, which is, have you been to the Silver Coast? The Abidos, Nazare, yeah. Caldas area? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, if you want to come to a place to walk, and find another soul place you should visit here. It's it's incredible, um, and we need good more murals. So so it's a good place for you to come and visit. But um, but yeah, every every time. So we, we'll still walk into tradi traditional places. Or like yesterday, I was at the hospital, and people come out because they've read my name and they say, "Do, do you need someone that speaks English?" And I say, "No, no, no, no. I can speak Portuguese." And then they're like, "Why? How? They don't understand." And then there's like a ten minute conversation while you're waiting to actually go into an appointment as to, okay, but you're South African, you're Portuguese, how do you speak the language? All these kind of things. So it's so funny uh, that when you said that beef too, it made a lot of sense. But even my son, Benjamin, when he was little, he would say, uh, a loose tie broken, you know, things like this. Yeah, yeah. So it's, even as a little boy, he'd mix English and Portuguese. Uh, it's funny. It's very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have some good... Conversations are always entertaining. Do you ever get that you, I mean, I get it sometimes. Someone will speak to me in English and yeah. I will answer in Portuguese and they look at me completely blank because even though I spoke in Portuguese, they didn't hear the Portuguese. They think, oh, what is she speaking? And there's a there's another phenomenon. You must, you must, so if I get into a lift and I haven't even opened my mouth and there's like four Portuguese people in the lift, they start speaking English to each other. I've never understood this. It's, I don't know if it's because they want to show me they speak English or that it's just contagious. Because when I start mixing the Portuguese and English, other people do it. Yeah, it's quite funny because um, uh, I think with language, you, I think when you've been in a place for so long and you've, and you've got so used to switching between the languages, you kind of forget which language you're actually speaking. So I'll sometimes be thinking in English, but I'm talking in Portuguese and then I have to say, and I have to take, go back and say, did, did I say that in English, or did I say that in Portuguese? Especially when I'm with someone that's that's beef tuga, that's that's bilingual like that, you know. Um, but yeah, I found I found that with because um, they've almost they've engaged you in in English. They've already kind of switched their mind to English, and then when you respond in Portuguese, they almost don't understand because you're coming in at a different wavelength all of a sudden but the, the elevator one no what i found in the elevators everyone's always talking about food when you're in an elevator what are we going to have for lunch what are we going to have for dinner uh what did you have what did you have for lunch oh that 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 cabrito is very good whatever the case is food is a huge thing 
it's uh, it's funny, but yeah. Um, Jacqueline, what I mean, what do you want as a as a, a beef tuga, but um, someone that's very much identified herself as Portuguese? What do you want people to know about about Portuguese people? I'm constantly arguing about this. My son's like, why do you say you're Portuguese? And I'm like, why do you say you're English? You know, so we're constantly arguing about this within the yeah. family because we have dual nationality, but we've got Basque, we've got Danish, we've got English, we've got Portuguese. But I, of all my cousins and brothers and sisters and stuff, I I love it here. I love everything. I love Lisbon. I love the busyness. I love the smell. I can even deal with the bureaucracy. It's It's a beautiful country. The people are lovely they come with their challenges but that just adds to the character yeah. you know? the the food is exceptional what do i want people to know about was it the culture here the the galleries the foundations the i mean this is something i part of my life i love is if i've got free time I, you will find me in a gallery somewhere or of you know the gulbenkian or at some concert it's really supported the arts and culture here we even get a tax break, you know, we only pay 6% tax on our art, not 23. So um, it's, uh, I don't know. But everyone that comes here, it's the same. They come back to retire. They come back time and time again. Yeah. We'll then dream about how to live here. How can they yeah. structure their lives here? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm in, I'm in real estate and we're seeing people come from all over the world and now not only to retire, people that are bringing their kids, people that are, you know, one thing COVID showed us is that, is that people can work from anywhere almost, um, and people are able to come out, start a new life, have a better quality of life, and and Portugal is is offering that to people. Um, where can people, uh, ja Jacqueline? Um, yeah, actually, one more question. What's um, what's one thing that you would like people to remember and, and take away from our conversation? Just one thing. Never too late. I mean, who on earth paints their first mural age 37? I spent my 42nd birthday in a lift 14 meters in the air. And that mural ranked 35 in the world in January. Wow. And you just, you know, that little thing you think about, there's, it's just never too late. I, I thought if I don't have a go now, I'm going to be a vile old lady. I'm already grumpy and moody anyway. So can you imagine me being resentful for having never followed my dream or blame the others? And I mean, it's it's a luxurious thing to jump into the responsibility of two children. You can't just drop your career and become an artist. But it is really never too late. You know, the amount of women I meet, even men, you know, the kids are a bit older and they feel really lost. What are they going to do? Because they put their careers on hold, you know, to raise children. It is never too late. A friend of mine's mother qualified as a pediatrician in her 60s wow you know and yeah. go back to school study do whatever you ever dreamt of as a kid i love it wonderful um where can people follow you online where can people yeah. see your work all of these I have things. A website with a mailing list that will say which country i'm painting in where i'm painting murals or my shows collective shows um, which is www.jacquelinebontain.com. Um, Instagram, I'm very active. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Instagram, it's Jay DeMontaigne. Um, LinkedIn, I'm not sure. I think it's Jay DeMontaigne or Jacqueline DeMontaigne as well. I'm really lucky. There are no other Jacqueline DeMontaines. So <laughs> I don't have to put add bits to my name. Um, 
but there's a, a lot of online, a lot of articles and podcasts okay. and stuff. Great. So I'll put some links in the show notes and Great. people can follow and, and, uh, and see what you're up to and, and get in touch. Um, Jacqueline, uh, a question that we ask all of our guests, as you know, Portugal, the simple life. Why? Why is it? Why do I think it is the simple life? Yeah. Should have asked you that at the beginning of the podcast. I think, I think really to be happy and calm, you must follow your instincts. Just keep it simple. Keep it organic. I try not to over plan. I really go with the flow. Um, and that's how it is here because the standard of living here is great and it's simple. You know, the everything, food, healthcare, it's not over complicated. You can't go wrong if you keep things simple. Good one. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. And I'm going to let you call it. This, it it's a wrap. So thank you once again to our guest and thank you to all of you for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends, give us a thumbs up and please leave a comment or a review. We always love to hear from you. Don't forget Portugal The Simple Life also has a magazine so download it, it's for free. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode and as we say in Portugal, Cesar's bem vindo. Welcome to The Simple Life.